You're listening to the Things I Think About podcast. I'm your host, Jim Stroud. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Jim? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. Please tell uh, tell us who you are and what you do. Well, my name is uh, Jesus Eduardo Campa. Everybody calls me Eddie. Uh, born and raised here in El Paso, Texas. And currently right now, I... Uh, I retired from law enforcement after 27 years uh, of serving my communities. And right now I'm running uh, two companies. I run America's Best Strategic Security Group as the CEO, and then I'm the owner of Leading Through Adversity, which is a leadership development uh, uh, course that I put together. Wow, now retired after 27 years, uh, that that makes you a veteran. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 27 years. Yeah, 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 my my father was a policeman, God rest his soul. So I have a little Thank bit you. of insight and, um, and sympathy for, for what you've endured. I think being a police officer is one of the most underappreciated jobs these days. Um, I really, uh, not to say that all, all police were never were are, are 100% saints, but I tell you what, um, I know that I rest easier knowing that some of the boys in blue are out there doing what they have to do. Uh, so that I can sleep well. So I, I definitely appreciate what you're doing or what you've done. And definitely um, on the back of the blue out there who may be listening as well. So um, you you mentioned um, that you have a leadership business, or something mm-hmm. along those lines. T- tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. So leading through adversity, it's called our LTA for short. You know, mm-hmm. what, basically I, I started that organization uh, based off of my experience. You know, I was a police chief of a minority town of a minority city. Uh, let me rephrase that. I was the first police chief of a police organization that was uh, in a very racially divided community. Okay. And uh, so I was the very first minority police chief to took over that organization. And I kind of found myself uh, out on an island by myself. You know, I really didn't know who to contact or who to talk to when things weren't going right. And this is, you know, this is a true story. You know, uh, the fact that uh, I got the community behind me, I was able to get the community behind me and what we were doing, but I just couldn't get, I couldn't get the officers to follow. You know, they, um, Hmm. there was some real racial division and some real tension going on uh, in that community when I took it over. And so I found myself kind of out there on an island by myself and I, I really didn't know who to reach out to. And I kind of had to learn how to navigate those courses. So what I did um, after I left there in 2017 is I started the Leading Through Adversity campaign, which basically what it was, was a way where other leaders could have a safe place. They could, they could kind of like contact me and we could network and we could talk about you know, issues that they were going through, because, you know, when you're in a leadership position, you know, they always say leadership, it's lonely at the top. Sure. And let me tell you, if you've never been a leader of an organization, it is very lonely at the top because you don't know who you can trust. You don't know who your friends are. You don't know, you know, um, so you, it gave them a safe place. And right now, you know, we went from starting off with a, a couple of friends of mine networking to when we have over 38 clients now, everything from chiefs of police to CEOs, school superintendents, entrepreneurs, and basically, like I said, you know, we kind of, we kind of, we kind of help them set up their strategic plan. Uh, a lot of the times, leaders find themselves trying to put a program together or, 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 or develop some kind of a plan, but they're met with negative, negative um, adversity because you know the people don't think that that's the direction they should be going in. So a lot of the times, we get brought in to develop a plan based off of his information, and since we're the consultants they buy it from, they, they actually buy the plan from us. They're like, oh, that's a great plan. Even though it was actually developed by their current leader. 
but little did they know that when the current leader was trying to get it through, they were pushing against it. And that's what leading through adversity does. So, I mean, it's, we're a strategic plan. Um, we're a, we're a think tank, uh, networking, and, you know, we go around, like we've gone around in 2019, we're on a big roll. Uh, we were going out doing a lot of public speaking, a lot of, uh, leading through adversity, a lot of, um, what do you call them? Seminars and, and, mm. uh, and strategic plans for cities. And then COVID came around and kind of knocked us out of the water. So we're trying to get back in again. Mm. Okay. Let me, let me, um, make sure I have, have in my mind, um, what, what kind of work that you do. So let's say that I am a police chief in a very left-leaning liberal type of city. And there have been a lot of protests recently and people are making autonomous zones where they're saying police aren't allowed in a certain part of, of uh, the district of my city. And I want to send police in there to uh, clean up the, the, um, the protesters, so to speak, and establish law and order in that area, but my mayor is breathing down my back, telling me don't do that because it won't play well, this is an election year. And so the citizens are saying, hey, we wanna feel safe in our community, but the politicians that be are saying, uh, no, don't do it <laughs> for their own political ideological reasons. How would you consult me to deal with that situation in that, in that case? Cause I would feel like my hands are tied. Yeah, so, so basically at that point, what we would do is, you know, we'd have to talk about open communication, how much political collateral you actually have and how much political collateral you're willing to burn. And unfortunately, you know, we live in a society where it's all about political collateral. You know, um, if how well, how well are you like chief? How well, how much power do you actually wield? You know, yeah, it might be far, far leaning left, uh, but, but how much, how many, how many, how many city council members do we have on your side? Is the community on your side? Are they actually going to listen to you? What are your officers? So these are all things that we got to take into consideration. We throw it up on a whiteboard and we create a white paper out of it and start developing and saying, okay, how, how are we going to address this? We come up with a plan. And the majority of the times, because we've actually had that, we actually had an incident like that, uh, kind of similar to that, but it was more of, a, of an in, involving a school district hmm. uh, where they were trying to pass a school bond that was going to raise taxes. And the community was like, oh, hell you are. <laughs> um, and uh, believe it or not, uh, we got, we got a, we got a, we got a $27 million bond pass out of it, you know, um, oh, wow. okay. after, after we stepped in, we, we went in, we did a, we, we, we went in and we did a survey of the schools. We talked to the community, what they wanted to see, what their number one issue was as far as, you know, uh, quality of life. And it was, it was education, you know, uh, how would we attract more businesses to here? You know, it's, so it, it, it was very time consuming. It took us about nine months to get it done. Hmm. And we went out, we presented it to city count to um, city council, excuse me. We went out and we presented it to the school board school board, you know, thought that they had enough political collateral to burn off with the citizens. And they did, they were, they were right. I mean, they, they went ahead and, and pitched it and they got their, they got their bond and new schools are being built thanks to our, our direction, you know? And so that was pretty wow. awesome. So we would do the same thing with the, with the police chief is, is mm -hmm. basically come up with a plan, put up the pros and cons. And I'll tell you what, if, if I had a system like this back when I was in that other community, mm. I could have definitely used it. I mean, I did it myself. That's how I was able to develop leading through adversity because I was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, how, how do I deal with this? Like, All right, I got to talk to this person. I got to do this. I mean, am I willing to burn these relationships or not? You know? Mm. Um, so yeah, so, so that's basically what we would do is we would, you know, we'd sit there, we'd communicate, come up with our plan, our pros and cons, come up with a white paper to present to city council and say, why? you know, why it's got to get done. Um, 
27 years of law enforcement experience, been a chief of police twice, a state director once, working on a PhD. Um, I think I think I'm a little bit. I think I got a little bit of experience on dealing with these things. So sure, sure. You know. So is, is your is uh, your typical client then? Would they be police chiefs? Would they be politicians? So you know, uh, originally it started off with a lot of uh, police chiefs, just because of the you know my network. You know, sure. that's where it started. And then uh, we kind of got winged off to a friend of mine who was a superintendent who's like, hey, you know what, I could actually use your services, help me out with this. That got happened, then another superintendent, <laughs> then we got another superintendent. And then um, and once um, we have a couple of friends here in El Paso who are like, hey, you know what, we're trying to approach the city council on, on, on um, making us a, a, an empowerment zone or doing this or doing that, but we can't seem to get their buy-in. You know, let me pitch it to you. So they pitched it to us. We we fine tuned it a little bit. So we've got a little bit of everything. I mean, we've got thirty eight clients now. Like I said, uh, everything we've got a couple. We've got definitely chiefs of police, couple of superintendents, uh, some entrepreneurs, uh, some business owners, and some corporations. I mean, it's just a mixture of everything, and that's the cool thing about the company. It's all about diversity. Anybody that's been in a leadership role understands what we're talking about, and 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 we're kind of like we're that sounding board. We got nothing to lose. I mean. If your idea, Jim, is the most stupidest thing on God's green earth, Quite I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say, Jim, that is the stupidest idea on God's green earth. <laughs> and you're wondering why no one's buying it? Well, because it's the stupidest thing we've ever heard. But you see, we're not vested. We got nothing to lose. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not after your job. I don't live in your city. I, I got nothing to lose, you know, and, and I'm not going to just take your money. So I'm going to flat out tell you, you know, we can work it or we can't. You know what? I think um, an interesting client for you may be uh, political influencers, uh, people who have podcasts, people who have YouTube shows, who want to take it to the next level. Uh, I'm thinking right now about um, Larry Elder, who's running for governor in, in California. California, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's someone who is definitely an influencer, definitely a podcaster, radio personality, that kind of thing, but he wants to take it to the next level. I'm sure there are other radio personalities out there or podcasters or YouTubers who have a uh, much larger audience than mine who are thinking, you know what, I want to go into politics and uh, instead of just talking about it, I want to actually do it, or I want to pressure a uh, congressman or, or someone locally to get something done. Um, and I imagine they could reach out to you and say, hey, this is what I want to do. Can you help me achieve that? Does that make a lot of sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can reach us at leadingthroughadversity.com. There's a contact form there to reach us. And we're taking on all clients and stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we're not saying that we got the answers to everything, but the one thing that you're always looking for is that independent body, you know? Uh, I mean, cause you know, I remember being a police chief and my right hand man, if I told him I wanted, uh, you know, I wanted every officer to wear a pink uniform, he would have said, chief, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. Let's do it. And I'm like, I was kidding, bro. I mean, that's probably the stupidest thing I'd ever do. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. That's the stupidest thing. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> and, then, and then you got, then you have people that, you know, that are, that you actually have a good idea. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, well, now they'll never buy it, you know, because it's not my idea. It's your idea. And I don't need you to look good because I'm number two. And as soon as you're gone, I want number one. So I got to find mm -hmm. a way to screw you over. Us, we're independent, man. I mean, we, we, we got nothing to lose. You're the client. You, you need the help. We're going to try to get it across or we're just going to tell you, dude, <laughs> that's the stupidest thing ever. You know, I, I got you. And speaking of some of the stupidest ideas ever, in my opinion. 
the whole defund the police movement that has been uh, that started, I think, last started last year and it's, and has metastasized into all of this violent crime that's going on. Um, when you first heard about the defund the police, now were you were you retired when it first kicked off? Or? No, no. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that, that that's a very interesting topic and, and a topic that just like irks me, right? Because sure. the, the defund the police movement has been around since the 1960s. You know, really? And, and people, yeah, oh yeah. People don't realize that. Uh, if you go back to and, and I always and I always tell myself I'm going to remember the name of this movie and I can never remember it. Mm. Uh, but it came out in early January. Uh, it was about the Detroit, the Black Panthers in Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's actually kind of where it started. Uh, the Black Panthers in Detroit got their uh, headquarters burned down by the police and all white police department back at the time in Chicago. Okay. And that actually is where the defund the policemen the defund the police movement actually started. So hmm. it's nothing new. And being a police chief, you know, the first thing that people always do when they want to cut taxes is, oh, well, let's cut public safety. Let's cut public safety. Let's cut public safety. So we've always been behind that eight ball, always being cut somehow. But it was never a big deal till recently where all of a sudden you got social media, you know, you got, you know, you got all these organizations that are defund the police and all this stuff. And now it's like, it's a big deal. It's been around for years. However, I'm totally against it. I mean, look, uh, uh, law and order is, is important. It needs to be in place. Yes. Now, now I wish, I wish that in talking to some politicians, you know, we talk in there and what they're really saying is reallocate. They're not, they're not saying defund, defund. Once you hear them, you're like, well, that's a reallocation. That's not a defunding. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Well, why don't you use the proper word then? You know, because hmm. I got no problem with a reallocation. For instance, I'll give you an example. California, New York, California, LAPD, NYPD, they have a, in their department, they have a psychiatric unit for mental health. Okay. Sure. And, and that agency has psychiatric, they're not officers, they're psychologists and, and psychologists and psychiatrists and nurses and things like that that go out with the police officers. Well, that money is funded to the police department. It goes straight to the police department. Okay. Now, like everything else, if you have creative accounting skills, I'm sure you, you as the police chief can maneuver funds to be used for something else, right? For your toys. And, you know, <laughs> you maintain, you maintain this, this slither of, of a unit. So what they did is they said, you know what, we're going to detach the metal, the mental health unit um, from the LAPD and the NYPD, and we're going to make it into a standalone unit. So we're going to defund that department. Well, no, you didn't defund it. You reallocated it. And thank you for doing that because that's not my job. <laughs> you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm not the expert on mental health. I'm the pol I'm a police chief. I know about law enforcement. I don't know about mental health. How do you want me to deal with it and, and run a psychiatric, a psychological or psychiatric department when I don't know the first thing about it? So yeah, okay. please, please take those $2 million that are being used for what you want to use them. Take them away. I'm fine with that. Okay. Use proper word. So in this situation, let me paint a scenario for you and tell me how, how, how this sounds. So uh, let's say I'm a shop owner and I have uh, customers coming in and out all, all day and part of the night. And just outside of my store are a couple of homeless uh, vagrants there who defecate and, and drink and do whatever. And I say, okay, uh, these people that are outside of my, out of my store, they uh, have some mental issues, it's quite evident. Uh, would you come over here and 
ask them to leave because they're, they're ruining my business. Um, in that scenario, would you say, okay, let me send a couple of officers over there to, to tell them to move along? Or would you say, I'm going to send a couple of um, uh, psychiatric helpers, I don't know, I don't know the right word, uh, sociologists, yeah, so, psychologists to, to come talk to them? What was the best way to handle that? So, so every agency, like, like me here in El Paso, we had yeah. what we called mental health certified officers. Okay. So we, me, I had attended an 80-hour course that prepared me on how to deal with the mentally ill, right? Or people having mm. mental episodes. Yep. So I would, I would dispatch mental health officers to the facility. I mean, to your, to your business, you know, and have them try to talk them out because at this time you're not getting your traditional police officer showing up in uniform, badge and gun. You're having an officer showing up, you know, in plain clothes. Uh, yeah. Badge and gun tucked away. And, and we're having a communication because a lot of the people who are suffering from mental episodes have had, um, have had issues with um, with police officers, so the uniform is more of an causes more of an issue than than a reality, you know. So once the officers are there, at the same time, I would also dispatch the the the, the mental health providers that could come in and help out. This way, we're not just eradicating the problem by arresting them and moving them along. This way, you know, the officers there for the safety of the mental health worker, the mental health worker can then you know convince them to move along, seek their medication, get them to a, a, a mental hospital or find them a homeless shelter to stay, advise them that they're not welcomed here. And then at that point, the mental health uh, certified officer would then, we would then call our community services section, which in turn would try to work with you to find the appropriate avenues to try to, you know, clean up your neighborhood. You know? Okay. okay. So uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, then the mental health workers are sort of like the first encounter uh in a situation and if things don't go that way then we go to plan b right right okay okay have you seen that have you have you uh so you've seen that type of scenario work um oh oh, yeah well yeah you see here's the thing you know here's the thing and this is what i'm saying is that not every agency out there has mental health trained peace officers right Mm. once you get once you become a mental health certified officer you you are trained to interact with these individuals and you already know that's why you show up on scene. You don't show up in a uniform. Mm-hmm. You don't show up in a police car. You show up in an unmarked car. So you're not a threat to them automatically. You know what? Mm-hmm. You're, you're somebody. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. I'm, this is, this is, I'm, I'm painting you perfect world scenario, okay? I mean, <laughs> okay. don't get me wrong. I've shown up and I've said, hey, and then got smacked in the face and said, well, this escalated quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we had to go a different route. But I think that, I think that, you know, right now, we, we do live in a society that's, that's, that's very protective and very coddling of a lot of individuals, you know? And, and I, I think that um, basically what we just really need to do is, is fine tune our resources. And we really need to, this is going to sound so wrong and I'm sure some critic of mine is going to take it and twist it. I, 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 what we need to do is we need to put funding into mental health. Mental health in law enforcement is our biggest issue, okay? Um, hmm. it's our biggest issue and everyone's like, oh, well, you know, burglary is an issue, robbery. Well, well, yes. But a lot of the times those people committing those crimes are suffering from some kind of mental episode, mental issue. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're doing drugs, well, you're already suffering from a psychological neurological, uh, tweak. Sure. So you've got some kind of mental episode. So who's out there, who's out there robbing, stealing and stuff because they need the drug money, this and that. They're addicted to the drugs. You know, they, then so 
we really need to put an emphasis on mental health. If we can put an emphasis on mental health, get the treatment, get people on their medication, get the treatment and stuff like that, we would also see a major reduction in crime, major reduction. In crime. I, I remember, um, I remember at one point, maybe this was the 80s, early 90s, so forth, we had a lot of state hospitals mm-hmm. where you would take people off the streets and then you would get them the care that you're talking about, but that went away. Exactly. Why, why do you think that is? Well, that went away for several reasons. It went away, like I said, hey, you know what? Nobody's going to notice if we get rid of the mental health. Let's cut that budget. Yeah, cut that. <laughs> Nobody noticed it. Now, that talk about a defunding, when they did a hell of a job defunding those state hospitals, okay? Mm. Now, now, number two, it's like, hey, it's inhumane. You know, you, you, do, you, you send them there and all you do is drug them up. And some of these people are innocent and they, they get no representation because you always have them sedated. You always. So then it became a, a you know, a, I don't know what you call it, an abuse of power type of thing, you know, mm. like excessive force, not by the officer, but by the mental, by the health people that were providing, you know, that service. But you got to remember that no matter what service or what industry you're in, you're always going to have some sort of corruption or some sort of mismanagement. I mean, it, that's just, that just goes without saying, mm-hmm. okay, so they need to be better regulated. So yes. So one of the things as a police chief that, that like that bothered me when I was like the police chief of a small community is that the nearest mental hospital wasn't even in the state of Texas. It was in Louisiana and that hospital only had 20 beds for their entire state and this part of Texas. And you're wow. like, so we would arrest somebody. We would arrest somebody. We'd have to put him in jail who's having mental episodes, this and that. So what do you do? You drug him to keep him sedated, keep him calm. And then three weeks later, hey, we have a bed for your guy. Then you got to transport the guy or female, whoever down there. Where, where's the help? Like, I mean, you know, so not only did you just cost the taxpayers money by housing somebody who's who needs help mentally, Sure. You know, he's sick, but instead you throw him in jail because that's the way we should deal with it instead of funding these state hospitals. I mean, the state hospitals to me, I never worked them. I never saw them. I don't know. But, you know, if you have a hospital with, you know, two, 300 beds to, to house these individuals with psychiatrists and psychologists, putting them on their medication, bringing them in for counseling, I'm telling you, people want to know, how do we reduce crime? Well, put money into mental health, my friend. That's how you'll do it. Mm, interesting. Interesting. I would love to see some stats on that. Maybe I'll look that up. I'm, yeah, you, absolutely. You really have my, my curiosity sparked. One other um, time is really creeping crept up on this fascinating conversation. I want to pitch one more idea to you. And uh, you tell me if it's the stupidest thing you've ever heard. Okay. <laughs> so one of the, one of uh, this idea I had was when the defund the police movement was, was at its pinnacle, right? And I was seeing it everywhere um, on the news. And so the thought I had was uh, we should give people the option to opt out of police services. Now, it will be hard to make this uh, a whole blanket um, uh, effect on everyone. But the way that I thought we could do it is if you call for 911 and you've opted out of police services uh, because it's, you know, you're all about defunding the police department. Then when you call 911, you get a recording that says, boop, boop, boop you opted out <laughs> of police services. So good luck with that. That would be one. And then two, putting up a sign outside of the neighborhood, assuming all your, all your other neighbors agree with you. Just put a sign up there that says, we have decided uh, to defund the police. So 
we do not allow police cars in our area. If that idea happened, what do you think would happen? What will be the repercussions of that? Those two things. Have you seen the movie The Purge? <laughs> um, I think I think that I mean it would be a damned if you do, damned if you don't, because. <laughs> let's say they put it up, then they're going to turn around and sue the city and saying, well, why did you allow us to do this? <laughs> well, because you did it on your own free will. Yeah. But you shouldn't have, because you should have known the problem. I was like, yeah. So it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, but I'll give you an example. For instance, right now here in El Paso, we have a, an alarm ordinance. Okay. So if you have mm. a burglary alarm in your business, mm. you, you sign this letter, send it to the police office, to the police department, and you pay a $50 permit. If your burglary alarm goes off, Guess who shows up? The cops, right? Yep. If you don't pay the $40, guess who doesn't show up? And basically what you say happens. It's like, hey, this is a, there's a burglary alarm in my business. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Mr. Kappa, you don't have a burglary permit. Sorry, deal with it on your own. Bye. <laughs> and what has happened? We've actually, you know, there's been a few instances where people have been raped, uh, oh, um, wow. murdered. Wow. Uh, bur but that's the owner's responsibility. I mean, yeah, I mean, mm. You know, so I would I would hate and I would never encourage anything like that. But I do see something like that occurring really soon. <laughs> Very soon. Wow. I, I definitely appreciate your time and your insight. Uh, remind us again how people get in contact with you, especially if they think they could be a client of yours. Yes, please reach out to us at leadingthroughadversity.com. That's leadingthroughadversity.com. Uh, or you can reach out to me at jesusericampa.com. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. You have been listening to the Things I Think About podcast. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, I want to know about it. Drop me an email. I can be reached at Jim Stroud. That's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D at jimstroud.com. So until next time, bye-bye.